I was a um, AB student in high school, um, National Honor Society, graduated with like a 3.7, 3.8 GPA. And then I get to Georgia Tech my first <laughs> semester. I'm making C's and D's. And I'm like, this has never happened. This is new. Where is this even coming from? So that was the culture shock. It was an adjustment. And I remember one time my dad, I guess that was a good thing about going to school in your in your home, in your city, your hometown. I called him, he came, he worked downtown and he just came to visit me at Tech and I just cried on his shoulder because I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to flunk out. So if I'm playing basketball, I hadn't even gotten to a game. I'm going to flunk out before we even get started to we started with the games. Hi, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. And I'm a former NFL running back, an author and thought leader who lives by the mantra, nothing is impossible unless you truly believe it is. I found the Game Beyond the Game Talk That Talk as a place for thought-provoking and inspiring conversations with professional athletes discussing life's transitions. Game Beyond the Game is an ecosystem for professional athletes to cultivate the mindset to discover their overall purpose and vision in the game of life. And now, it's time to talk that talk with your MC, Stan Pearson II, and myself, Prince Daniels Jr. Let me introduce our guest like the rock star that she is. Fallon Stokes is a dynamic and passionate criminal criminal defense attorney, broadcast analyst for Georgia Tech Women's Basketball and ACC Network, contributing legal analyst for Court TV, and co-host of the podcast Talk That Talk with Fallon and D-Lab. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. A native of Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised, Fallon is a former fierce and competitive collegiate student athlete who believes college athletics build the foundation, built the foundation for her success as criminal defense attorney and analyst. During Fallon's time at Georgia Tech, she was a four-year starter for the women's basketball team and received all ACC honors during her collegiate career. That mother shut your mouth. All right, post-college career, Fallon attended Georgia Georgia State University and received a master's degree in sports administration. After her tenure at Georgia State, she continued her education and received a Juris Doctorate from John Marshall Law School in Atlanta, Georgia in 2012. Fallon has been practicing an attorney since 2013, specializing in criminal defense. As a defense attorney, Fallon is a fighter for justice and has witnessed examples of authentic systematic inequality in the criminal justice system. She is an advocate for change and social justice reform and is passionate about seeking justice and helping the ill serve in the community. So wherever you are, I know you're going to clap your hands and stomp your feet. Welcome, Fallon Stokes. Thank you for being hey, here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> thank you. On the beach with Dan and all the drinks. Just, we're, we're there for you. She's very happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> right during this pandemic we gotta imagine being on a beach with a drink so this is awesome but i'm, I'm happy to be here and discuss and talk talk about some topics with you guys so thank you thank you so really quick you mentioned born and raised in atlanta what was that like how to feel to you know to be home and to be around you know things you're familiar with right um i love the city you know i was born and raised grew up in southwest atlanta um, my father is from Atlanta. My mother's from Savannah, Georgia, but I have ties to Georgia either way. This is where the majority of my family is. So this is home. But when I had the opportunity to go to college in my home state, play basketball at Georgia Tech, uh, one of the best institutions in the country, and then had the opportunity to play in the ACC, uh, probably the best basketball conference in the country right now. Um, that was just an amazing opportunity. And 
I was able to continue my education in Atlanta. I have never left. So this is home. Unless something amazing happens that forces me to leave, uh, I'll be in Atlanta probably forever. So this is home. Eight town down. <laughs> Eight town, stay down. You know, that's what we do all the time. <laughs> hey. <laughs> that's amazing. So, you know, so you're kind of your hometown hero. You've done a little bit of everything. No, a lot of everything and and owning everything that you've done. So even let's say, what was what was it like as you were transitioning from high school and deciding, you know what, I'm going to be a collegiate basketball player. How was that transitioning? And what was that like for you? Um, I think it was just trying to get an understanding. You know, when you're in high school and you're good. You, you, you don't understand that there are really a lot of other good players out there. You know the players that you compare yourself with in your own state or in your city because you play against some of the better players. But you're only seeing maybe five or 10 really good players in your state. That's how I felt back then coming out. And I was one of the top, like one or two in the state when I came out. So when it was the opportunity to make a decision of where I wanted to go to school, that was me getting a better understanding that it's a business. Um, and I had to grow up fast. Uh, mm-hmm. I had an opportunity, had a scholarship on the table. I won't say the university, but then that was taken away. I was told I had plenty of time to make a decision, but you know, how you could feel about that. Went on a visit, made my decision and wanted to commit three days later. And they told me that my scholarship had been taken. They had offered it to another guard. Mm-hmm. And then probably about a week after that happened, I get, go on my official visit to Georgia Tech. And it was just an amazing time. And I think it's so important for kids to understand, like, you know, I had the likes of Tennessee's, Dukes, um, Clemson, who was really good in basket, women's basketball back in the 2000s, late 90s. Um, But I had some opportunities to choose some big schools, but at the same time, was I going to play right away? And I think that was important to me. And when I went on my visit to Georgia Tech, I knew there were some hurdles that I would have to cross and how competitive the practices practices would be. You know, I would have to put it out there every day if I wanted to get an opportunity to start and to play a lot of minutes. Um, And it fluctuated. I started some games my freshman year, and then I would be coming off the bench. And it was like playing head games. But I knew if I committed to Georgia Tech, that was going to be an institution where I was going to have an opportunity to play right away and get some experience. So I would prepare myself for the next level in trying to pursue a professional career. So I think that's so important for young kids to understand that it's a business, but you have to put things in perspective where you're going to have the best opportunity to show your best whenever you choose a school. Yeah, <laughs> there's always some culture shifts, and even though sometimes people are like, "Oh, culture shock when you leave, right? When you go somewhere else." But there's still some culture shock, and from going to high school to college, what would you say one of the biggest culture shocks for you was? Uh, the practices and the work, the academics. Like I would say, with Georgia Tech being it's one of the hardest schools in the country, no joke. Um, <laughs> When I went in, you know, I was an um, AB student in high school, um, National Honor Society, graduated with like a 3.7, 3.8 GPA. And then I get to Georgia Tech my first <laughs> semester. I'm making C's and D's. And I'm like, this has never happened. This is new. Where is this even coming from? So that was the culture shock. It was an adjustment. And I remember one time my dad, I guess that was a good thing about going to school in your, in your home, in your city, your hometown. I called him. He came. He worked downtown and he just came to visit me at Tech. And I just cried on his shoulder because I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to flunk out. So if I'm playing basketball, I hadn't even gotten to a game. I'm going to flunk out before we even get started to start started with the games. 
And um, then it was the practices. Like I was always a hard worker. But again, when you're in high school and you're good, you're athletic, things come pretty easy to you. So the transition of just understanding, like I had to practice hard every day and then learning how to weight train. I was fortunate in high school that the football coach, he took me under his wing in like 10th, 11th grade and was like, you need to start lifting weights. And I was like, I'm already a physical specimen. I'm built. I don't need to lift no weights. That's for men, you know? And, and he was like, no, if you're trying to make it to the next level, those girls are going to be strong and athletic, mm-hmm. just like you. You better get on these weights and learn how to lift them. And um, his name was Coach Edwards in high school. I'll never forget him. And if it wasn't for him putting me on that regimen, I don't think I would have been prepared for the rigor of college athletics and just understanding, like, getting up at six in the morning to go run and lift weights, you know, having to eat mandatory breakfast. I think that was the huge adjustment of the culture shock is everything was so structured, like from study hall to uh, workouts to practice to shooting. And you just didn't have any time. So when I had friends that were able to go out and party, after all of these structure, structured activities, I was like, I don't know how you do it. You must, you don't sleep. I know how they did it. They didn't go to class, but you know, I was always big about trying to get my school work. I knew at the end of the day, I had made a promise to my aunt and she passed away my freshman year. But when she knew I was going to Georgia Tech, um, she, she attended Spelman College, but she wasn't able to finish because of just things, you know, she got married young, had kids and then had other siblings she had to take care of. But that was one thing that she always regretted, that she never got her college degree, but was so proud to have attended Spelman College. So when she found out I was going to Georgia Tech, she was like, you've got to get your college degree in four years. And I'm like, people don't graduate from Tech in four years. They graduate in five. I'm like, I'm I'm going to take my time and, and get through this. <laughs> right. But it, it worked out in the end. Um, but I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. I think it's one of the biggest things or the best thing that shaped me in adulthood and moving forward in my career. Wow. Yeah. Oh, oh, that was so beautiful, fellas. I mean, it just brings back so many amazing memories that, we, <laughs> that we've had, man. You know, because one thing I, I always remember about you was like, you were a hard worker and no matter what, you all, it seemed like you always be open, wait, waiting to um, receive the ball so you can shoot it. Like, pass me the ball, man. I, I got this. I got this. All right. So she was, you know. Yeah. But, um, give me the rock and see what I do with it. Give, give, me it. give me the ball. Give me the ball. And a minor sidebar, it's like for guys, and you mentioned, oh, working out, I don't need to do that. I'm not, I'm a physical, like, it's interesting for sometimes guys like, oh, I can hoop because, like, listen, you have no idea how strong you are. Yeah. Especially when, when like until I got put to the deck by, I'm like, oh, who are you? Where'd you come from? But it's like understanding, like when people put in the work, you never know who they are and who right. they can become. So that's right. just a note for folks who don't really understand that aspect of sports and life. Correct. Oh, I agree, man. So, so you you mentioned that you had um, a mentor, and they're really big in 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 people's lives. That's what used that's what allows you to. Um, to overcome or catapult you to the next level, right? Uh, and and for, so for your coach to actually take you under his wings, what was it that that you were doing for him to say that that made him say, you know, I believe in you, but you need this piece to help you out uh, in your in your transition? Right. Well, he was actually he was the football coach, but he used to be one of the PE teachers. So you know, in high school, I was one of the few girls who probably liked PE, and I was like, ah. <laughs> I get to go hoop in the gym, you know, I don't want, you know, between classes, this is an excellent class. I always want to have PE on my schedule. So, you know, um, 
Coach Edwards would see me play, and I would just always play with guys. I didn't play with girls. They weren't trying to play at PE, but I knew that would make me better. And growing up, that's all I did. I didn't start playing organized basketball until I was about 13. Um, But he would see the skill level or the skill set I had. And I think he, he played football in college, so he understood what it took. And I think he, at the time, he knew some basketball players that had played in college on the women's side, and he knew how good they were and how competitive that next jump or that next level would be for me. And my school was a predominantly white school. Um, my basketball coach, you know, she was a, a great person, great human being, but really understanding the X's and O's, she was she was learning it. But she understood she had somebody talented like me on the team, but just really didn't know how to get, I think, sometimes the best out of me. And um, like any kid, you think you're so good, you can be rebellious at times. And at times I could be a bit cocky, you know, back then, but he would always give it to me straight. Like, you're not that good. You, you may have dropped 40 the other night, but that was nothing. You know, I, I know somebody <laughs> over here dropped 50, 60. And I'll be like, man, I bet they're not better than me. <laughs> I just knew he always had the mindset, especially with his players and the black players he had, to really focus and, and just try and um, build a discipline in them to just work hard in life. No matter what, I think he knew a lot of his players weren't going to the next level, but he was really trying to make men. And with me, he saw I had this opportunity. So he wanted me to be prepared to be successful. And, um, you know, I think about it my freshman year when we played Georgia. And that's when UGA had some uh, some superstars, you know, Tawana McDonald. Yeah. Um, they had Tweety. They had the Miller Twins. They were good. And I think yeah. they were ranked nationally, like, in the top three during my first two years of college. And I remember they had, like, six, five, six, six girls on the phone. <laughs> And I'm running in there trying to get a rebound and fall and get stepped on. And then that's when I realized how important that weightlifting was. Because here I thought I was strong, but these girls were big. This was the SEC when the SEC was rolling for women's basketball. And I really got to see how competitive these girls or these women were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it was just that mentality of him really trying to give me some type of structure. And um, making me understand that I could not just focus or rely on my athletic ability to get me through, that you have to work on things, whether it's your shooting, it's your you know strength training, it's your conditioning, because you want to improve, but you want to outwork your opponent. And because your, your opponent is always working, too. So mm-hmm. just trying to build that mindset. Yeah, Ooh, man. So <clears throat> as an athlete, you know. You know, as you mentioned, you think you're strong, and then you end up running into somebody that's like Goliath. And you're like, what, what, what was that? That was a wall. That was a brick wall. You know, a lot of times athletes get discouraged after they run into that brick wall. You know, what is it that made you say, you know what? She she knocked me down. They they trampled over me. You know, it's all right. Um, I got to get back out. I got to get back into the gym. I got to work a little bit harder. Because they, they need to respect me and know who I am and know my name. What did you do? What was that 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 you did to look within Fallon and make that happen? Um, you know, I think it was at the time, you know, really building my foundation with God. And then at the same time, having, you know, two parents that really supported me regardless of how good I was. But, you know, my dad was never the one to really force me into any type of sport. I always wanted to try something out as a kid. I told him he would sign me up. The only thing he was big on is that if I did it, I had to finish it. Finish. Um, so I think just growing up and having that mentality and that structure, 
my my mom was a disciplinarian, but more so on the academic side. Like she made sure I got schoolwork in and and did everything I needed to do academically to put me in a position to go to college, you know, if I chose to do so. Um, But, you know, when I hit those walls in college, the foundation, I think, you know, like with um, my spirituality, my family, and then friends, teammates who were seniors, juniors, and seniors, like I'll say Millie Martinez at the time, um, Nisha Butler, um, just the likes, um, Alex Stewart. These were people who had experienced it before me. And some of them were smaller, but then I'm realizing like, if they can do it, I can figure it out too. Um, and I think it was just that competitive nature because they were day in, day out trying to get better. Um, even Sonia Mallory, I saw where she started and where she ended. And I think she was really inspirational just to see the work ethic you need to put in to be successful. And I knew I had the talent. I just really needed to put in the work. And, you know, once I, like, I think it was midway my sophomore, towards the end of my sophomore year, I think I dropped 30 on Maryland in a game up at Maryland. We didn't win the game, but my coaches were like, where did that come from? (laughs) You know, it's intimidating, but I think I just felt the freedom and the confidence just to go out there and play. Mm. And I think that was one of the first times I actually felt that freedom because when you're trying to learn a new system, you're learning plays, you're learning defenses, then it changes. You have scouting reports for every team. It's a lot of information. We didn't do that in high school. You'll go through a couple of sets, but it was mainly your own sets and knowing how you play. Um, But just learning game film, studying, getting a better understanding, understanding my body, you know, eating better. Stop. I push back on the Krispy Kreme donuts and McDonald's all the time that you wanted to eat. And I just think it was a new focus um, that really just helped me to understand that I could improve. And then I started to see the gradual improvement really by my junior year. That's when I started to take off. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. You know, I can be um, a top player in this league and be successful and help my team win games. And I think that was important. Wow. And I actually yeah. had a chance to see that transition, uh, maturation. Uh, and I was just like, man, y'all ain't gonna go to the league, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and speaking of league, so um, so after college, mm-hmm. you 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 um, so so on campus or just athletes in general, you already you already know distinctly who's gonna make it to the league, right? Whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, you just know because usually those athletes hang around each other. They just have respect, mutual respect for each other. And they, they speak and, you know, it's just like, are they going to make it? Cause they have the mindset. Um, so after, after your senior year at Georgia tech, uh, I was waiting to hear like what team that you landed with whenever you went to the WNBA. So, um, and, and I know you said you had a transition, but I never had a chance to hear the rest of your story. Can you share a little bit? Um, about yeah. that? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, after my senior year, like my junior year, we made it to the um, NCAA tournament for the first time in like two decades. It was something crazy. Um, And that was a pretty amazing experience where once you get that feeling of playing in a a tournament game, you want to go back. Like it was the best experience. We played at Purdue um, and we ended up playing Virginia Tech in a close one. We lost by two points. Yes. And um you just have that inside of you. After my junior year, we lost Sonia Mallory. She was a senior. She was one year ahead of me and she left and she went on to play in the WBA. So it was kind of like, I, I saw the person ahead of me that I could inspire or, you know, kind of emulate to work and get to that next level. Well, my senior year, 
it didn't work out as well for our season. We had high expectations, even though we lost her, but we didn't make it to the tournament again. That's my senior year. We didn't even make it to the NIT. So I thought it was a bit of a failure, but I still had a good senior season. But if you're not winning, that's not helping anything. Um, so going in or leaving out of my senior year or progressing or trying to go to the WNBA, that was a year back in 2000 where it was a lockout. Yeah. Uh, WNBA, WNBA players were on strike. They were thinking about not having a season. And then right before uh, the season was supposed to start, they decide they come to an agreement and they decide to move forward. Um, that draft, I was thinking I was going to get drafted, you know, went and worked out for teams went to camps. Um, they usually have um, a scouting camp, wherever the final four is, where players will go. That year, the final four was in New Orleans. So I went for that, played extremely well. So I'm thinking like, I'm definitely going to get signed. And then I didn't get drafted. So that was so disappointing. And it was, a, you know, um, almost put me in a small state of depression for a little while. Um, just to think like, this was my dream. This is what I worked so hard for a while I was in college and then it just didn't happen for me um then worked out went to a, a couple of training camps with teams and didn't get signed didn't make it and that was just a tough year when you were understanding like the rosters the settings they had veterans that they had signed they had to keep so it was a short number of players even people who got drafted that remained on teams a lot of people got cut so then it was this whole aspect, like I said, being in Atlanta my whole life, never really have left besides traveling for games and traveling out of town with family. I had opportunities to go overseas. And the one of the major places that wanted me was Israel. And at the time with everything that was going on, you know, in Israel, the fighting, the influx, I didn't think it was very safe. And I think we just didn't know or I didn't know enough back then but you just see what you you know what you see on the news that it right. just didn't look safe at all it looked like a war zone right um and it would have been an opportunity for me to continue to play but then i decided not to um dave brain who was the athletic director at the time at georgia tech had op offered me an opportunity to go to graduate school and get my master's in sports administration at georgia state which i did and to work within the athletic director's office to see if I wanted to be an athletic director at some point mm. and move forward. And, you know, they paid for my schooling. I worked for them and got a small stipend, but got to learn so much in working for Mr. Um, Mr. Brain. He was always, what I loved about him, he was always for the student athlete. Like the student athlete always came first. So he was the type of person you wanted to learn under if I was serious about becoming an athletic director and staying in athletics. But it forced me to grow up a bit. If I had to take it back, I probably would have played overseas for a little while, maybe um, given more time to see if I would have made it to the league eventually. But it, it was at a point where it really deflated me. And you hit that barrier like, do I want to keep giving time to this or do I want to move in a different direction to see where my career will go in the long term, just in mm. life? Mm. Okay. So I had to make a tough decision at like 22, 23. Um, I made another run for a second at about 24 uh, to see if I could get another opportunity, played on a couple of traveling teams, and then um, had a couple of workouts with league teams again. But yeah. then that was like the final straw where I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, maybe this is just the end, even though I love basketball so much. But really no regrets looking back, except for the one that I wish I had maybe traveled overseas for a little while 
play for a couple of years before I went to grad school and then eventually law school. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's so beautiful. That's, you know, a lot of people need to hear that. A lot of athletes, a lot of female athletes um, and, and male athletes as well. Because last week, our last episode with Cordero Howard, you know, he, he spoke about how a lot of the football players, he sees this common trend where they put their business before their name. Is that right? Is that correct, Stan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah. Yeah, they put their business before their name. Their, and he said, he said they hold their chest up and their head up high. You know, like, I play football. You know, but like, who are you? I, I play football. Right. And um, he said that's that that is what leads to depression when they come out of their transition because they have that this identity crisis. Yeah. Did you did you ever suffer from the identity crisis that you put basketball before you or did or was Fallon Stokes, you know, first and then I played basketball because it that is what kind of leads to depression and 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 helps. Yeah. I mean it doesn't help with the transition. Well, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, yeah, it was an identity crisis for a second because basketball was my identity for so long. Um, really from 13 until about 22, that was it for me. You know, that's who I, I thought of myself as a basketball player or an athlete. Um, and I did the necessities I needed to do in school to graduate and right. to, to keep playing basketball so I remained eligible. So I'm not going to say I was making straight A's or A's and B's, for that matter, at Georgia Tech. But I did what I needed to do to get out of there and graduate. Um, Yeah, it was an identity crisis. I mean, I was, it was to a point where you have been doing something for so long, you're like, to have to go get a nine to five, that doesn't even sound right. Like, I'm supposed to be playing basketball. And it took me a while. I didn't even think I was ready to work. So I was like, well, maybe I should just continue school because that's something else I'm familiar with, at least. Mm. So I can continue to explore and find Fallon to see what, you know, my true calling is. So I've always known I wanted to be an attorney after basketball. Like I've known that since I was 12. My godfather, he is an attorney in Tallahassee, Florida. As a kid, for some reason, I thought that was so cool. Um, maybe because of his house and his cars, but I, I didn't know what type of law he did, you know, until I got older, but I was like, I want to do what he does. Um, I just didn't know when, um, but it, it was one of those things where you're right. You hit depression, you're unsure. I would say like a couple of years after school, I was partying like I was in college, <laughs> making up for lost time, you know, because it was so much structure in college and I was so focused on basketball I wasn't going out to the clubs during the season. I wasn't hanging out. You know, in Atlanta, the nightlife was awesome back then with Buckhead. You could do pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But I and, didn't take advantage of it. And, and, and we, we, used to be, we, used, we used to be out late at night, you know, every once in a while. We were like, Valley, PJ, what's up? You know, we had the whole crew around. And so, we, you know, that was our excitement. That was our going out while everybody else was out, out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was just one of those things, you know, you're so focused on the task at hand and really trying to meet that ultimate goal. And when it didn't happen for me, you know, I had to reflect and take a step back. You know, it was a few months I was depressed and Mm -hmm. finally just had to pick myself out of it. And that's why I give Coach Brain so much praise, because he gave me an opportunity to try and get myself out of that depression in that hole. Um, to go to school and and see what I can make of myself and learn something, you know? Mm. Well, it's interesting, you know, because along the way, you've had a number of transitions in the work that you put in, whether it be on or off the court, 
has led to someone either assisting, you know, part in the, the plan, you know, assisting you in kind of moving to that next level and helping with a transition. And there's another word you mentioned before, like defense. And that, you know, moving forward, that somehow that played another role in your life in becoming this defense attorney. So right. is, there, is there any connection uh, <laughs> to that? And what made you, again, decide to practice that kind of law as you move forward into that transition? Well, and that's, that's interesting because um, when I decided after graduating from tech, I didn't think I was ready for law school right away because I was like studying that's serious and I didn't want to mess it up. So that's another reason I decided to go to graduate school to see how I could do in a postgraduate program and if I could be serious because you're dealing with mostly adults when you get into that field. I was still, I think, a kid at 22, 23, in my opinion, trying to still figure it out. So um, it was a learning process. But honestly, I wanted to be a sports agent. I wanted to be attached with sports. When I did sports administration and working with uh, the athletic association at Georgia Tech in the athletic uh, director's office, I enjoyed learning and figuring out like how um, games are scheduled. You know, you have contracts, schools get paid so they can come get their tails whooped at your school. I didn't know that, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, wow, this is big business. But I was like, I really don't want to do this big business. I want to do the big business and stay close to the athletes who are playing and helping them grow and, you know, make a brand for themselves. So that was my mentality. So when I started Right before I was starting law school at about, I started law school in 2008. I went part-time and I worked for a law firm in Buckhead. The attorneys at the time, Manny Aurora and Michael LaScala, they were a private firm that specialized in criminal defense work. Um, Manny Aurora was one of the the best and still is one of the best criminal defense attorneys in Atlanta. And um, he graduated from Georgia Tech. So I think it was Lucius Sanford who put me in connection Um, because it was, uh, I think, a student athlete who got into a little trouble at Tech, and he hired Manny. And um, he was the lawyer that they said he should call at the time. So Lucius was like, call him, see if he'll just, you know, if it's an internship, or maybe he'll give you a job. He told me he was looking for some young talent to come help him, especially starting his sports agency. So I was like, cool. So I go work with Manny. He hires me on the spot. Like it, the conversation didn't even last long. I, I went to Georgia Tech and I think he's, I knew some of these athletes. He's like, yeah, you on board. Come on in. So I'm like, all right. So here I'm trying to help him build his uh, sports agency and, you know, get in meetings with some of these athletes, seeing if he can sign them. And it was just the whole concept where I think at the time Manny had, he had a great concept of trying to help players grow and understand the business of the sport. and understanding that you don't need an agent that you party with, have a good time with all the time. Um, It's great if you build a kinship or a friendship, I think, with your agent, but it's all about growth. And if an agent is not helping you grow or build your brand, then they're not helping you. Mm. Um, And I thought that was important, uh, what I took from it. But at the time, these players weren't hearing that. You're a young player coming out of college. You wanted that agent to throw you some money. You know, I need the condo. I need the ride. You know, I need some vacation. So Manny wasn't of that that mindset. He wasn't paying for all that. And it kind of turned players off. And I really understood how much money you really need to start an agency and how hard it can be in chasing these athletes down. Mm. And I, I love it still. But then I was like, Coming out of law school, that's going to be hard for me to get into unless I just start working for a big agency. And at the time in Atlanta, we didn't have too many of those. Um, so 
He was also a criminal defense attorney. And Manny had some big cases, federal state cases around the, the city and the country. And he would be of the type that he always wanted like a tag along. So he would have me in some meetings that I never thought I would be in, in some courthouses I never thought I would be in, sitting at the table with him. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. He's just like, here's a pen and a notepad and just take notes. Make it seem like you belong here. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, it was just a learning experience because he's brilliant. I think he graduated with an electrical or mechanical engineering degree from tech, which would make him tremendously markable to get any job in the country. But decides he doesn't want to do that. Oh, I'm going to go to law school and I want to be a lawyer, which I thought was amazing for him to have that courage. Um, but it just helped me realize the importance of the criminal justice system and helping people. Mm. And it was so many people that I would see sometimes in these courtrooms that were um, underrepresented. Um, and then it just turned into me, which I am doing now with my criminal defense work. I'm actually a public defender um, and I work in Fulton County. And I am in a situation now where I can't choose my clients. But I think that's what makes the job so fantastic is that you really got to care about the work and helping people. Um, because sometimes you don't have the best clients. You know, they can be a total headache. They can be a pain in my butt. But I have to put into um, or stay in the mindset that if I was in that same position, I would want somebody advocating for me because my life is on the line. And I wouldn't want anybody shortchanging that because it's so important. My freedom is on the line if the, my lawyer does not represent me the right way. So um, I was working with Manny Aurora, who really just shaped my whole mindset of wanting to be a criminal defense lawyer and seeing what he was doing. And then with the experience I gained working for his firm when I graduated, that was the area I looked into. I thought about becoming a prosecutor. I did an externship when I was in law school and I tried a case, got a conviction and two, the two, it was two co-defendants and they went to prison. The judge sentenced them to, I think it was a, it was 10 years to serve five years in prison for an aggravated assault. Oof. And I knew I did a good job, but I understood like with the resources you have as a prosecutor, how easy it is to prosecute those cases. Mm -hmm. um, wow. You have you have all of the, the resources you need as a defense attorney. You don't have that. So to get somebody acquitted or to convince a jury to convict them on a lesser included charge, you've done a great job because you forced the jury to think. Um, and I thought that was what was so intriguing. But once those those two defendants went to prison, I was like, this is not for me. I mm. can't do this. Because it I can't be. Like it was fun, right? No, no. And, and I was like, I cannot be in the business of trying to get numbers and get convictions um, and sending people, even though I won't say that it's some people that may need to go to prison sometimes, just depending on the type of crimes they commit. But it's not right with me. I don't want to be responsible for sending them in. Right. So, and you don't want to keep one eye open at night. Right. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> right. they, they, they be in prison thinking about you. As soon as I get out, I'm going to get felon. Hey, you I'll do be, not want that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. As a defense attorney, they might keep one. You might have to keep one eye open sometimes, too. <laughs> but, you know, you take it with a, a grain of salt. Like, one thing I think. I just always try to humanize my clients, treat them like human beings. And if right. I do that at the end of the day, mm. I usually have their respect. Mm. So 
I haven't been in the situation. I'm not going to say all my clients have liked me in the past, (laughs) but I think at the end of the day, they've respected me Mm. and I respected them. And we just kept that type of mutual relationship to where the attorney client relationship tends to work out. That's awesome. Do you think you'll ever go private? I have been private before and um, I I have some aspirations, maybe doing it again at some point. But right now, this journey of what I'm doing as a public defender. I'm enjoying it. Um, it's a great work environment. It's not as bad as people may think. Mm. Um, we have a great director in our office that really uh, supports us and puts us in a position to be successful. We have a lot of resources um, to really help our clients. So I, I feel good about my decision right now, but I don't know in a few years where I may may end up. Well, I appreciate mm. your work. I just want to say that before going any further, because it's not an easy job at all. But most right. definitely appreciate it. Right. Definitely. Thank you. Anytime. Do you still hoop? I meant to ask. Do you still hoop for fun? You still get out there? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, right now I'm actually um, a friend of mine. She has a daughter who is interested. She's seven and playing. And I've never trained anybody before. I've been asked all the time, and I'm like, I don't have the patience to train these kids. They don't want to work. <laughs> and uh, you know, the last few times I've seen her, she's always like, "When we gonna go shoot?" And I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if you're serious about this. We are gonna give you a few weeks." So I actually shot yesterday. I trained her yesterday or last night for about an hour just outside. And, you know, it, 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 I love the game of basketball. Even in my office, we had an office league about three, four years ago. We played it and I was, I got it. So I got in some great shape again. So I was out there hooping, you know, like my life depended on, I was like, I'm back in business. But, um, the older I get, I hate to say it, man. Playing basketball, it will put a strain on your body. So anybody who's playing well in their 30s, I respect it. But besides just working out and staying in some shape, no. Nah, besides shooting a little bit, I don't really touch it as much as I used to. Not on that court. But it's always going to be my first love. I love basketball. Oh, awesome. Especially if you're hooping outside. Because outside, yeah. you the elements. Not, what? I get, get bougie out there? Is it <laughs> Well, no black top on my shoes. Right. you like, I got to get some fresh kick. It's, it's a whole <laughs> regimen. You know, back in college or even a little bit after, I was getting free gear. So now I got to buy me some sneakers. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not. It's like buying new tires. You don't want to go. You don't want to drive fast. But if it's a rental car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you better those tires up. <laughs> That's amazing. I think I probably just have a, a, one, one last question, if you don't mind, Fallon. Yeah, you know, go ahead. You know, you've been, you've had some transitions, you've worked through some things. What's some advice you'd give a younger version of you, right? Like, as you look back over everything you've experienced, what's some advice you give to a younger version of you? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I think the most important thing is trust and patience, like trusting and having patience with the process. Um that was really important. I like, I'm still working on my patience in adulthood today. You know, it's an everyday struggle, but I think I've improved over time. But that was something that I learned, especially in college, was just patience and trusting the process, being patient, allowing it to happen and waiting on my time, you know, mm-hmm. not trying to rush anything and control my destiny. We know, I know at least God is always at work. Um he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just one of those things that just experiences or life experiences where I just had to really learn how to trust the process and be patient. Mm. Don't rush. 
childhood. You're going to be an, an adult one day. That's going to come soon enough where you have all these responsibilities that you can't get away from. Trust me, mm. I know it. But in being a kid, just enjoying that time and trusting and being patient with the process. I think that's so important. And that would be the advice I would give to anybody. I, I give that to the youth all the time. Like, you know, everything is not a big deal. Sometimes we look at things or young kids, the youth, they look at things as a big deal or so serious or it's the end of the world. And that's truly not it. It's brighter days ahead. You just got to keep pushing through and trusting the process. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Prince, man, any final thoughts or questions from you? Man, I, I have so many questions. I've been writing them down. <laughs> um, um, so r- real quick, earlier you had mentioned about they need to, um, people need to understand the business or athletes need to understand the business of what they're getting into. What does that mean? If you can, you can tell me in, in a short, like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, what does that mean, understand the business? Because it's, it's just like your parents say, you know, hey, go and clean up that room. And your kids say, yeah. why? Because I said so, you know, and so like you got to know the business. Like, well, what does business mean? Well, just learn the business. You know, so can you give um, our audience something to to really, you know, um, internalize about right. business? Right. Um, you know, like I said, even coming from high school to college, understanding like the recruiting process was a business. Um mm-hmm. You know, even though you may be recruited by all these schools, don't think they're not recruiting somebody just as good as you or what they may consider better. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand the mindset and the process and make the best decision for yourself. Now, when I said when I was working with Manny Aurora and we were trying to build a sports agency, I think a lot of those players and he was wanted to be an NFL agent. That's what he was focused. He was focused on. And you saw a lot of those players still caught up in the advantages of college. You know, we won't say what some players may or may not have been given while they were college athletes, but it was that whole mindset of things being given to them if they were so good. And I think going to the next level in the NFL and, you know, um, PJ, you said it when you were on our podcast, it's just the importance of just understanding and transitioning the business aspects, networking, finding yeah. mentors or at least surrounding yourself with a good group of people that are going to help you expand beyond the game. Yeah. Because we understand that that's just for a short time. Look at me. You know, I had aspirations and thought I was going pro and it ended in college. Little did I know that was going to happen. And I had to make and grow up really quickly and make some tough decisions. Well, imagine being a professional athlete and this is all you know. You've made tons of money and then all of a sudden it could end like that. And I think that's why you see a lot of professional athletes lose money or go broke because they just don't surround themselves with the right team. Mm -hmm. Um, I hate to use this analogy, but comparing it to like LeBron James and his team, granted, everybody's not going to be LeBron James, right? But at least he had the mindset or the fortitude to understand that he had good, a good circle around him of young friends that were inspired and wanted to succeed at certain things. And he put them in a position to be successful to where they've created this entire brand for LeBron James. Look at him now, you know, after being in the league for 16, 17 years. So I think even if you're not doing it on that LeBron James level, you got to understand that this sport is not going to be your life's journey. You're not going to be doing that forever. 
but what do you want your legacy to be and how are you going to build your brand post-career so you're surviving and taking care of your family and building for the future or for future mm. generations to see. So mm. I think that's so important when you think about the business aspect and understanding the importance of your brand and your leverage because these teams wouldn't have anything without you. So make the most of it, you know, Oof. get something out of it. That is, man, that was beautiful. So you need to plan, you need to visualize and have an extra strategy. Yeah, I, mm. those those are, I'm glad those three takeaways, those are perfect. You do, you do. I mean, enjoy the moment because you, you're a professional athlete. You know, you're playing <laughs> like a big day. You know, I mean, I'm not saying think about it 24-7, but right. spend some time on it. It's kind of like in, in back in college when we had study hall and, you know, they talked about time management. That was something they stressed big in college. Yeah. And I would be yeah. like, time management? Why are you <laughs> preaching this to me day in, day out? How important it is. And, you know, I still work on my time management. I'm forced to write things down so I'm scheduled because I will forget everything. Me too. But it's so important. You do. And I just think that's in life. That's something that's so successful. Coach knew. I remember that to the end. The total person program. Remember, yeah. time management person. Yeah. is so important. And I carried that with me. Time management and network. Right. Like, right. I can't say any job that I've gotten in adulthood has been because I'm the best at it. No. It's because of the connections from networking, meeting the right people and putting myself in the right position when those opportunities came or when God put those opportunities before me mm. and it worked out. Mm -hmm. So that's the same mindset I think you need to have with business, just educating yourself, learning, reading and having a good group of people that you trust around you that have your best interest at heart and want to help you grow so you can help them. Wow, that was beautiful. I said one minute, and you just, <laughs> you take it all away, and I love it, Fallon. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> um, all right, all right. So the the next question, man, I, I, we're trying to keep it short, but this is another. Uh, this is like a whole topic, and I'm pretty sure okay. we need to bring you back on and talk about this. But you know, now that you're in your profession, uh, there's a lot of social injustice going on in the world. How are you? implementing yourself inputting yourself and helping well i started my podcast mm. uh besides the work that i'm doing you know I, I i'm helping social justice issues every day in my profession so i was like what else can i do to bring attention or to show that i'm for the cause and i'm trying to help bring attention to the cause and it was starting my podcast talk that talk uh with Fallon and d lab we started it about the end of june and we've been running for about two months now, but we hit on sports topics, politics, economics, anything. But I think it's just so important to inform people the importance of this climate and the understanding that it's okay to say Black Lives Matter. You know, you don't have to be a terrorist because you say Black Lives Matter. I think mm -hmm. if you can't use that phrase or say that term uh, easily, then that's the problem. We can't even start having the conversation. But then stressing the importance, too, on my platform, the importance of voting and this upcoming election on November 3rd. People have to pay attention. And it doesn't matter what your political ties are, but you better exercise your right to vote. So many people would learn it or I'm learning that don't. So if you don't, you better just shut up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. So wow. One of, the best the, one of the best rules in negotiations, like being willing to shut up. Especially yeah. Especially when you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what you're talking about, or also if you, you most people, when, whenever they ask for something and they are, if you, you'll understand if they start talking, 
they they're not confident in what they ask for. Right. So and so the 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 key rule is you ask for it and then you get solid. Even if the other person doesn't even talk, just stay solid. Just just have the discipline to silence yourself and not say anything. Because when you start talking some more, you talk yourself out of the deal. So I know. <laughs> so that was yeah. a great point, Stan. Great point. Great point. My last question: We always have to get take it take it here. Get serious. Um, so if um, if I, you, you mentioned your your family, how you love them, how supportive they are of you. Um, if you only had seventy two hours to live, you know, twenty twenty, knock on wood, because I'm not. I'm not trying to jinx anybody, you know, because, right. but, but we've been having, there's been a lot of fatalities in the world and it, it's, it's our reality right now. And so if you only had three days to live in this world, what would you tell your loved ones? Um, I think simply that I love them, you know, I love them and, you know, thanks for just always supporting me and loving me back. Because I think sometimes you see so many people that don't get that love back or they don't understand that feeling of having love back because it's such an ideal of what they see it as. But that I love them and thanks for loving me back. I think that's as simple simple as it gets. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Stan, you got it. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for loving me back. Any any final words, Fallon, you know, for folks who might be listening, any last nuggets you'd like to share with um, I would just say again, thanks for having me on. But if you want to see what I'm doing, you know, you can go to my personal Instagram handle. It's Future Stokey. And you can also follow uh, my podcast, Talk That Talk with Fallon and D Lab. Um, our Instagram handle for that is Talk That Talk FD. And you can listen to our podcast on all of the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And we're also on YouTube. So check us out, supporters, and subscribe. That's that's as simple as I can put it with this one. Most definitely. I was on I had an opportunity to be on there, man. Stan, maybe maybe you, you guys get a chance to talk and maybe so. I don't there. know. We'll see. Maybe I heard yeah. about on the team. Yeah. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about the panels. I love what you guys are doing and oh, um, just bring you. attention attention to current and past athletes, you know, so right. that's what people want to hear those stories that can help them if they have aspirations in making it. So I think this right. is such an important uh, platform as well. So thank you, thank you thank for you. having me. Oh, you're welcome. Male and female, you know, we want to inspire them. That's what me and Stan are doing. Every, every Tuesday, we, we, we feel extremely inspired to inspire these athletes to, uh, to evolve and make a difference in themselves. Because like you said, you see a lot of people and they still have their head down after their, after their career and they yeah. have no direction and they don't know what to do. So, um, in hopes of this show, we, we get a chance for them to see how to handle transition, how to handle life and how to, um, have an extra strategy for anything that they have, you know, or that they get into. So, uh, thank you for showing up and just being here. Oh, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. Heck yeah. Officially, Fallon, thank you for making going from making moves on the court to making plenty of moves and legendary moves and leaving your legacy as it continues to move along <laughs> off the court. And thank you again for joining us and sharing your story and being so transparent and dropping the gems that you did. And for those of you who all are watching, please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube page, Game Beyond the Game. Uh, you can join us here next week. At, at, at Game Beyond the Game Facebook page live every Tuesday, except not live now. Remember, we're on the beach with the excellent drinks and the sand thing. Right, remember, aside from that live, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you all so very much for being here. Have a great one. Peace.
Peace. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new show is posted. And please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about our events, courses, and other programming, check out GameBeyondTheGame.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.